Hi, Damien Marcus from 100 Not Out here. MP. Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter the journey of me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo, this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, the journey of me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favourite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by someone who's very passionate about childhood education and exercise. Um, She has a degree in early childhood education, she has a master's in special education, she has certifications in neurodevelopment, and she's also a mum of three kids under seven or seven and under. Welcome to the show, Claire Crew. Thank you so much, Brett. It's wonderful to be here. It's fun to have you on. I've known you for some time now, Claire, and and I've been really excited and, and enjoyed watching your development and, and watching you expand out into this space of, of teaching kids how to move and how to get healthy and how to look after their brains and teaching, obviously, mums and pe- dads and parents and teachers all this information as well because it's such fantastic information and it's such important information. So, Claire, how did you get into this sphere? Uh, well, very much as you said, I'm an early childhood educator. So, you know, from the, the time I was 15, I knew I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher, preschool teacher in other states. And, you know, I was obviously pretty excited and thrilled to finally, you know, have finished high school, have finished my teaching degree and be out into my first learning environment as a teacher. But I found very, very quickly that I was ill-equipped to deal with the huge diverse range of students' needs. Uni had done a really good job at teaching me how to educate the children who essentially were were ready and willing to learn, but it really skimmed over the surface of special education hugely. Um, so that's when I decided that I needed to learn further in the field of special education and I went back to uni part-time um, and eventually, after a very long period of time, got my master's degree. And that That was fabulous as far as what it gave me for helping children with, you know, a specific label, a specific diagnosis, but it's still, I found that there was still a handful of children in every group that I kept teaching who didn't tick the boxes of a certain condition or diagnosis, but they were just really struggling. You know, they just weren't thriving. They weren't progressing as much as I felt that they could be or should be. Um, And, you know, as a teacher, it's quite concerning because obviously we're in this field because we want the best for every student, not just some of them. Um, And, you know, to be honest, I had no answers at that point in time. But once I became a mum myself, um, I stepped out of the classroom environment and I got a position as a Jimbaroo teacher. 
and I don't know if your listeners know much about Jim Brewery Brett, but it's kind of like Kinder Gym. Um, it very much is a motor program for children from birth to age five, um, and it focuses a lot on the importance of movement as a tool to wire the brain for later success and later functioning, later well-being. And it was in, you know, that phase of my life that I first heard about these things called primitive reflexes. And I started to have some aha moments about what the challenge had been for all of those children I'd come across who just weren't thriving. And that obviously kick-started me on a whole new learning journey um, where I've learnt so much more than both of those uni degrees put together. Um, and it's, it's a field that I'm really excited to be part of now. Yeah, and it's such an exciting field. I mean, as chiropractors, we talk a lot about primitive reflexes and their importance and you know, the presence and absence of those primitive mm. reflexes and you know, how that can be indicative of motor function and neurological function in general, which obviously, once again, as chiropractors, we're particularly concerned with. So uh, it is a really exciting field, and I'm, I'm looking forward to delving into that a little bit today. But yeah, to start with, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about education. You know, one of the things you said was when you first got to the education sphere, you felt really ill-equipped. And, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of curious about that. Like, is that, uh, I guess, a problem with... Uh, that the education system needs to be improved or is it perhaps that, that the education system needs to be overhauled altogether? I mean, we see a lot of people now doing homeschooling and I know a lot of people who listen to this show do homeschooling. Yeah. You know, is that the way to go or do we just need to make our schools better? Do we need to educate our teachers better? Now, what do you think about that ill-equipped Do you know what? I think it's all of the above, Brett. I think the first problem is that our uni degrees really aren't changing and evolving to keep pace with the changing nature of the children in our settings. So in my first degree, four years, um, I think, you know, it was about 32 subjects that I studied and one of them was about special ed. You know, we did one different area of difficulty each week Mm. and that's pretty appalling especially when even since I've come through 11 years ago, we've got even more children in our settings who just, who just aren't coping, diagnosed or undiagnosed. And, you know, that hasn't changed in that degree since the time that I went through. So there's a lot of teachers who really do have children's best interests at heart, but, you know, they don't particularly want to go back to university again, and they shouldn't really have to, to be honest. There should be enough in that first degree to really give you what you need to teach all of the children, not just some of them. So, so what are the issues we're seeing with these kids, Claire? I mean, you've mentioned that you sort of said special needs and labels and diagnoses yeah, and some yeah. of them not having... I mean, what, are the, you know, what are the key issues we're seeing with our kids that are struggling in school? So as it relates to primitive reflexes, um, children can struggle in a variety of areas depending on what reflex profile they have. But essentially, you know, these reflexes are the automatic movement patterns that newborn babies have and um, they... They're there for the purpose of birth. They're there for the baby's survival. They're there to, I guess, kickstart brain development. It allows the baby to collect enough sensory movement stimulation to get the brain wired for what it needs later on. And, you know, it's very normal to have those primitive reflexes as a newborn, and we want newborns to have them. But over the period of that first year of life, those reflexes should get used up through movement, essentially. So by the time a child turns one, those reflexes are no longer there. 
well, yeah. they kind of are there, but they're just laying dormant in the brainstem. They're not part of day-to-day functioning. So if you've still got those reflexes and you're, for example, you know, you're six years old and you're at school, you might have problems with learning. Um, you just can't keep up academically. You might have problems with your attention. So you can't sit still. You can't recall information. You can't follow instructions. You might have problems with behaviour. So you can be really reactive, really aggressive, really impulsive. You might have problems with your emotional well-being. So you're very stressed all the time. You might be incredibly anxious. You might be struggling to process and make sense of, you know, the high sensory environment of a classroom. Um, You might, well, you're likely very much to struggle with coordination, being clumsy, avoiding sports, all that kind of stuff. And, and I guess the main thing is that you just don't feel safe in the world and it doesn't matter how amazing your teacher is and how beautiful your family home is, at the core level, because these reflexes are about survival, you just don't feel safe. And so I guess what this is coming back to, Claire, is really a fundamental change in the way we understand the brain, you know, where I think traditionally we sort of thought of it as, well, you know, some kids are good students, some kids aren't. Some kids are smart, some kids aren't. Some Mm. kids are good learners, some, you know, some kids are suited to the school environment, some kids aren't. But I guess what we're now learning is it's not so much about the brain you've got, but it's about how you develop your brain and that, you know, we're now learning so much about neuroplasticity and that it's actually the stimulus from your environment that really stimulates the growth and development and the function of your brain, not just as kids, but as adults too. Yeah, absolutely. Because this isn't about intelligence at all. And that's the really important distinction. Lots of the children I work with are very intelligent children, but they are held back in different ways because of these reflexes. And, you know, they can sit um, by themselves or they can be a part of, you know, one of those labels or conditions like autism, for example. So, you know, for some children, it's it's just one piece of, you know, many in the puzzle. But for some children, it is the only thing that's holding them back. And it's, it's a field that is really unrecognised, um, certainly in teaching circles. So what's the cause, Claire? I mean, it does certainly seem that these sort of learning difficulties and challenges are on the rise. It seems that more and more kids are struggling uh, in school. Um, you know, what, what's changed? Why, why does this seem to be increasing in prevalence? Oh, so many things, Brett. I think um, a huge one is that we've got lots of stressed out mums when they're pregnant. Um, we've got mums who knowingly or unknowingly are exposing, you know, exposing their unborn baby to lots of toxins um, and also a lot of mums who aren't moving much during the pregnancy. Like we do get told in the media about how we need to move for our own health when we're pregnant but no one really talks about the fact that the baby needs that movement too because they're getting movement stimulation, movement input through exactly what you're doing while they're growing inside of you. So that's one aspect. Then we've got a whole lot more birth intervention We've got a lot of babies who, no matter how they enter the world, aren't having enough unrestricted movement on the floor. You know, we need that time where we're not in devices, we're not in bounces, bumbo chairs, jolly jumpers, capsules, all of those things. We just need time on the floor, on our back, and particularly on our tummy to build up that tone, to, you know, have the opportunities to wriggle and use up those reflexes, and of course, to then... 
foster those milestones like crawling, which is a big part of reflex integration, as well as, you know, getting the brain working well together, the eyes developing. Um, It's such a crucial stage of development. And I think, you know, beyond babyhood as well, a lot of children just aren't moving enough in basic ways. Mm. We seem to know in our society that more children are struggling at school. I think that's pretty much accepted by everyone. And so the solution seems to be that we need to introduce academic stuff at earlier and earlier ages to prevent children from... um, Sorry. Falling behind. Interruption. No, sorry. (laughs) Children, letting their presence be known. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so, you know, academics seems to be the solution. For example, when my daughter was in childcare... um, she moved into the room for the toddlers, for the two to three-year-olds, and they started doing a letter of the month. And I'm sorry, but that isn't what children need to prevent challenges when they get to school. We're actually creating more challenges for children by this academic creep that's happening. Because if you have a a strong brain-body connection and a well-wired brain, when you get to school, you will learn quickly. You will be able to sit with correct posture at your desk. You will just take off like a rocket, essentially. You know, so to me, what children need more of is movement and sensory experiences. Nice. So you mentioned previously, uh, just briefly, you know, the gadgets and devices and iPads and iPhones mm-hmm. and all these sort of things. Yes. What impact are they having on our kids' brains? I think a huge one. I'm not a fan of screen time. And, you know, in reality, um, you know, they are a part of life sometimes, but it needs to be in such small doses. And to be honest, the TV, I think, is the least um, of the baddies out there. Um, The iPads and the iPhones, you know, they're just everywhere. A lot of, you know, siblings will do the school pickup just glued to the iPad. It's like they can't even separate it for from it for five minutes if you go and do you know swimming lessons um my youngest and I would be sitting there playing card games and reading books together watching her brother and sister but all the other children around the pool are just there glued to an ipad or an iphone it, it means that children are stationary all the time and they're also not interacting in a three-dimensional world you know there's less human interaction there's there's less of everything that the brain needs for true development. Yeah, and I think that's what people don't understand, like the the, the needs of the brain in terms of development, mm-hmm. you know, because you can look at an iPad and you say, well, you know, the kids are playing an educational game, so it's stimulating their brain to start thinking, but but the brain needs more than just that kind of educational stimulation. I guess that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, that- yeah, it, it is. And, and I think as well, you know, a lot of parents are really just trusting in the messages that are out there in the media and from the the marketers. And if an iPad game says it's educational, then it must be educational. But, you know, we've got to get a bit more savvy and, and, and start to question a bit more as parents. And exactly like paleo, paleo is about getting back to basics with food and with the key ingredients that your body needs to thrive. And we really need to do that with child development too. We need to get back to the key ingredients for what it takes for healthy child development rather than overcomplicating things with this, that and the other. We're just making it harder for our kids in the long run. 
So what are other key things that the brain needs? You know, we've just said that the brain to develop needs more than just education. You know, it needs yeah. stimulus. So what are the, what's the kind of variety of stimulus? What sort of things does our brain and our kids' brain need in order to develop and to thrive? Movement is absolutely number one. So especially in that first year of life, but beyond that too, we need a whole lot of movement. We obviously need the right fuel for the job. You know, if we want, um, if we're expecting great performance from our children we obviously need to give them the building blocks for life in what we're feeding them and you know listeners of this podcast know that for sure it's no surprise that kids who are struggling um you know kids who get the blue cordial and the the packaged lunch boxes are the ones who find it hardest to function in the classroom Mm. quite often um you know they need that strong brain body connection so chiropractic care is a big thing in my book um Mm. because that enhances all the other good stuff that you're doing. It makes sure that the body is, you know, ready to receive that input. And as well, you know, we need lots of exposure to language, to engaging with real people. We need opportunities to use our senses. So, you know, the messy play, the slime, you know, water beads, going to the beach. There's a lot of, um, you know, homes that are immaculate and children aren't allowed to get messy and, you know, at my house, it's all about making mud pies. That that part of <laughs> development is just so important. So let, let's talk about some of that movement. I mean, right from the start, you mentioned movement during pregnancy. I mean, it, so if there's mm. pregnant mums out there, what sort of stuff should they be thinking about in terms of movement? Well, you know, I'm not I'm not all about a specific exercise regime or anything, but just movement throughout your day. So particularly, you know, a lot of first-time mums, they are working very late into their pregnancy and they might be in a really stationary job. So just think about someone who is sitting at their desk, you know, all day long. The baby's getting no movement input during that time. So, you know, do those movement breaks every you know every 45 minutes every hour as you know as often as you can get away with at your workplace go and have a walk around and just get some of that movement happening I think to be honest it's that regularity of movement rather than a specific type of movement and generally speaking by the time you know by the time you've had more than one child you're on the go quite a bit anyway keeping up after the other ones yeah, and so then we start moving, I guess, towards towards birth and towards early childhood. Mm. You know, you mentioned before the birth intervention stuff, and and I think this yeah. is really important. I mean, as chiropractors, we see these sort of challenges all the time, and and we understand, of course, that you know there's a time and a place for these birth interventions. That that you know sometimes they they're exactly what's needed, and they save kids' lives, and and thank God they're there. But the rates that we do them are very high, and we don't always understand the impact that can have on our child's spine and nervous system. And, and obviously, once again, as chiropractors, we see these sort of things all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what's your take on that? What, what do you think about these birthing interventions? I'm definitely not a big supporter of them, but it's a very touchy area. And when I talk about it at my workshops, you know, you can see that everyone kind of starts holding their breath if, you know, they've had a child um, with birth intervention. Generally speaking, some of it is, is necessary in certain births, but what we need to be striving for as the ideal is a vaginal delivery because these reflexes, they develop in utero 
most of them are mature by about 37 weeks gestation, but it's the deep pressure that the baby gets during contractions and the deep pressure that the baby gets as it moves through the birth canal, which gets those reflexes 100% switched on and ready to go. So when a baby's born via cesarean, for example, you know, we know that that's not quite so good for gut health and immunity to um, allergies and intolerances later. But as well, it means that the baby is one step behind as far as its reflex development. You know, so those babies need even more, you know, tummy time, even more movement input once they arrive in this world than a child who's had that vaginal delivery. And so, you know, it's not doom or gloom, but it's information I wished parents had because... The reality is that a lot of the cesareans that take place are not essential. They, they are by choice or they are because, you know, the mum is in a private hospital and they have a very different idea of what a normal birth looks like and at what point they start to intervene. It's about being informed really, isn't it? And I, and I think very often from my experience, parents aren't informed really of the pros and cons of these birthing interventions. You know, they, they, the perception is there that it's just easier, safer, quicker, better and that, that you just go with the intervention and get it done because that's the best thing to do. But it's not always explained that it can cause problems later on for mum and for baby. Exactly. And so much of that could be avoided just with the right information before birth and the right information for those families who have had birth intervention after. You know, I've been told that um, in New Zealand and the UK, for example, if you have a forceps birth, the midwife will normally advise that you see a chiropractor or an osteopath shortly after going home Mm. from the hospital. And in Germany, I got told that you actually get a voucher. So the government is supporting (laughs) that intervention. And, you know, I know quite a few people that have recently had a forceps delivery and, and nothing got mentioned. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very common experience, unfortunately, in mm. Australia. And and as I said, it, it's about information, and it, it's so important that mums know. So, you know, for people listening into the podcast, that's a really important thing to share with people. And, you know, it's not always going to be for everyone. Not everyone's going to jump at that and decide that that's what they want to do. But I think it's just so important to share that information so that people have that choice. Because I think that's what it's really all about, is having that choice and having that information available. Absolutely. So we've gotten past the birth, and now we've got a little bubs there. And, uh, you know, I guess the temptation with little babies often is that, uh, you know, it's really cute when they start walking and when they start standing and jumping and laughing and doing all those fun things. And Mm. the temptation is there for both parents and grandparents and friends and everyone to want to try and get that baby upright and walking around and interacting yeah. as quickly as possible and, and to have some more fun, you know. Um, but that's not the best thing developmentally. And we know that, 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 as you said before, that tummy time and that crawling is so important. So do you want to talk about that a little bit, Claire? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we need to let children reach their milestones in their own way, in their own time. You know, children are a a flat pancake, essentially, on the floor at the start. And that's how they need to be. That process of gaining postural control, that ability to be upright, is something that we can't force. The baby needs to do that themselves. And so, you know, we really shouldn't be propping children to sit or, you know, supporting them in that standing position, holding their hands, helping them to walk, do all that kind of stuff until they are truly ready. Um, Because essentially what that means is if, you know, we're more likely then for them to see them 
skip certain milestones you know if they skip crawling then that's going to lead to some developmental challenges potentially later on um, more often than not I would argue is the case um, but certainly no sorry Brett I'm getting a few interruptions here this is the reality of motherhood in this podcast oh dear um and so, um, oh, what was I saying? That postural control, you know, if, if we've been propping a child to sit and forcing them to walk, you know, we kind of feel like that makes them smarter if they walk at a young age. But mm. I'm more, I value children doing all of their milestones in their own time and for long enough um, because they're the children who are much more likely to have integrated their reflexes, to have a strong brain-body connection and to be able to focus on what we're asking them to by the time they get to school. If you haven't developed your own postural control, essentially then when you're at school, you know, maybe you know, we've got 100% brain capacity available to us, 40, 50, 60% may just be focused on that, you know, maintaining upright posture. Um, And then how much do we have left for actually learning the lesson that's available to us in the classroom? It's, It's something that just can't be hurried. Yeah, you know, I remember, uh, I think it was Roger Sperry, who was a Nobel Prize winner, and he had a quote that said that, you know, movement of your spine was like the windmill that generates the power for your brain, you know, and and it's that understanding that the function of our spine, the functioning of our nervous system, and that feedback that comes back from that to our brain, you know, it's not just about strengthening the muscles, it's actually about developing those brains so that they can operate at their best. And, And I think that's what people need to understand is that there's more to it than just being able to stand up, you know, that's obviously a very physical thing. Um, but really, the, the crucial thing, I guess, developmentally is, is more so the neurological and the brain development is what's going to make the bigger difference in the long run, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's huge. And, you know, for the children that I work with, you know, no matter what age they are, they, they are not functioning well in an upright position, even though some of them might be as old as 12. You know, so the intervention is getting them back down on the floor, doing movement on the floor. Because if you haven't mastered that when you're a baby, you've got to go back there when you're older. So while it's great that we've got neuroplasticity of the brain and we can, you know, go backwards in time to help ourselves heal and improve, it's ideal that we actually just do that with our babies when they are babies. So we've spoken about, I guess, tummy time. We've spoken about crawling. Um, You know, what are some other great exercises to get out there, whether you've got, you know, young kids who are still in that developmental phase or even maybe you've got older kids, you might have teenagers who you think could benefit from some some more sort of functional fitness and some more stimulation for their brain and nervous system. What, What sort of exercise is good to get them back into and doing to try and stimulate those brains? Well, you know, if you've got children who seem to be ticking all of their, you know, their milestones, they're really happy, they're performing academically and and things seem to be really integrated, then I would just say whatever movement you enjoy. If, if, however, you've got a child in your life where, you know, you, you know with that instinct that you have as parents that something's just not quite right, um, whether big or small, there are challenges there. There are two reflex integration programs that I that I work with and I really recommend. Um, and so essentially with both of them, it, it takes you back to, you know, baby world. It gets you doing movements that, you know, you would have done as a baby um, so that it does give that brain and that body that second chance to 
you know, connect and strengthen. So one of those programs is called Move to Learn um, and the website is just <coughs> www.movetolearn.com.au. That's a not-for-profit Australian organisation. Um, and there's a book called 10 Gems for the Brain. It's $15, so it's, you know, very affordable intervention for anyone out there listening, um, and it talks you through um, the sequence of movements that you do, something that just takes 10 minutes a day, very, very easy, and it's also um, a program that I train teachers in using because it's a very easy program to use with a whole bunch of children all at the same time. Um, there's another one as well called Rhythmic Movement Training, which is a bit more of an intensive um, an individual um, movement program that you do with a provider but there's providers all across the world um, and the thing I love about that program is it starts with passive movements so for those children or for babies who can't yet organize their bodies themselves it is a way of giving their body the right ingredients to start to start you know that brain body connection happening and that reflex integration that's fabulous. I love that. And and so you've said one last question because we're almost out of time. But you said before about you know kids who are going well, just any movement that they like, you know, get into. But mm. you know, is diversity of movement important? I mean, from my way of thinking, maybe you want to be getting outdoors. You know, not just doing the same thing all the time on oh, flat yeah. surfaces. You know, climbing trees, walking on uneven ground, swimming, playing. You know, getting that diversity. It seems is pretty important in terms of not just body development but brain development too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everything in nature. <laughs> trumps anything inside that's for sure and you know I, I definitely prefer that movement in a playful way than you know those kind of gym classes for yeah. children so you know yoga can be great for you know that mindfulness with children but certainly you know monkey bars are amazing um for upper body strength, for eye-hand coordination, for fine motor skills, because fine motor skills are all about, you know, the strength in that upper body. Um, you know, swinging is great for vestibular stimulation and just for fun. Um, you know, and that that's one thing that's concerning, Brett, is that a lot of schools don't have swings anymore. So yeah. a lot of children are finding it harder to function in the classroom because they can't get that movement that they need. But, you know, nature walks, bush walks, um, you know, running, playing chasey, there's so many many ways that children will just move naturally in play if they haven't had you know too much screen time and indoors time yeah. it can be something that no longer feels natural to them but with a bit of a nudge mm -hmm. <laughs> with a bit of a nudge or you know if we if we're careful from the get-go with encouraging that kind of movement it's just there easily and naturally and and one thing I would say to the parents is just join in Lead yeah, by example absolutely. because it's great yep. for you as well and it makes such a difference to your kids. When they see you doing it, they're so much more happy and active and wanting to get involved and play. Absolutely, especially for those reluctant kids. You know, we lead by example and you're always saying that on this podcast and it couldn't be truer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Claire. We're out of time already. I've loved this podcast. I've got about a dozen people I want to send it to already, so I can't <laughs> wait till it goes live so I can share it with everyone. And I'm sure there's heaps of people listening into this one who feel exactly the same. So make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family. If you want to find out more from Claire, go to thriveeducationandwellness.com.au or look up Thrive Education and Wellness on Facebook. Um, Claire does some great teacher workshops and parent workshops which are available. So if you want to find out more about those, make Make sure you check out our website, send Claire an email and uh, you know, get involved in those. Get this happening for your kids, for your, at your kids' school, get your kids' teachers involved. That would be fantastic. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Claire. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. 
So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com, and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.